So we want to continue um, to worship together, and we're going to jump right in. Um, I don't know if you know this or not. Hopefully you've been tracking with us as we've gone. We've actually spent the last 14 weeks working through the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, right? And so we've been digging into this book of Ephesians um, that's, that's in our New Testament. It, it's called an epistle because it's a, it's a letter uh, that Paul wrote to the church, um, and it was meant for them as a church, but then it was meant to be copied and taken to the other churches um, that, that Paul had ministered to and that were, that were functioning at the time. And it's also, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's good and instructive for us. Today, we wrap up our series in Ephesians. And when we were planning this way back in, I want to say, May or June, we were mapping this series out and trying to, to fine-tune it and settle on some finer points and how were we breaking apart the scripture and what were we trying to accomplish by opening up Paul's letter and, and, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what it came down to. We wanted people to understand what is available to you as Christians through the immeasurable grace of God, through Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We too often try to live this Christian life from a position of lack or want. When the reality is that we have been given, all right, now are you ready to see how this all plays together? You can look at the screen. We have been given exceedingly, abundantly more. Here's where you're like, oh, I see what he did there. Or not, whatever. Okay, I mean, I was pretty pleased with me. Um, anyway, exceedingly, abundantly more. We've been given more. Listen, this letter to Ephesians, this is, this is a deluge of blessings that Paul wants to share with us. More than any other book in the New Testament, this delineates everything that God has done. And so I want to take you on a little walk through these first six chapters all the way up to, to the 17th verse of chapter 6 because that's where we've been through this series so far as we get ready to wrap things up. And, and here is what Paul has shared with us to this point. God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. He told us that we are chosen, predestined, adopted into the family of God. We are lavished with grace. We are, as, as his chosen people, we are redeemed and we are forgiven. We have been given the mystery of his will. We have received his inheritance. When we became believers, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit as a down payment on our future glorification. We are greatly loved by God, the creator. We have been made alive with Christ. Ephesians 2, 10 told us that we are the workmanship of Christ, actually created new in Jesus to do these things that he's planned for us long ago. We keep going. We are God's own peace. We are made one with Christ, united with all believers. We are made citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are being built into the actual temple of God here in the church. 
We have bold and confident access to God to go before him whenever we desire. We are made powerful beyond imagination through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are given the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are individually and uniquely gifted by Christ in the Holy Spirit. We are blessed with specifically gifted leaders to help us in the work of the ministry. We are given a a new self in God's holy likeness. We are made light. We are offered the fullness of the Holy Spirit if we would just choose to invite him in. We're given instructions and resources to make our relationships in marriage, in family, in the church. We're given instructions to make those relationships everything that God intends them to be. And we're given armor to make us stand invincible to Satan and his demonic forces. Listen to me. All of this letter that Paul wrote to the church... All of this letter, everything we've spent the last 13 weeks going through is meant to be such an encouragement to lift you up, to know that it is better than you thought it was, that there is more for you in the grace of God to live the Christian life than you thought there was. There is exceedingly, abundantly more. And as Paul ends this letter, he's going to help us with something. Okay, because here's the reality. If all of Ephesians is meant to lift us up, to show us how much we've been given, then all of that building up should ultimately do one thing. It should pull us to our knees. See, this is, this is why Paul ends here. This isn't haphazard. This isn't just a, oh, wait, I forgot to tell you, by the way, don't forget you should always be praying. No, no, no. This is by design that Paul gets here, right? He says, you've been given so much. You've been built up. God is helping you to stand firm with power in abundance, to live this life in a way that just is otherworldly. And all of that that lifts you up into the heavenlies ought to drive you to your knees in thanksgiving to the God of the universe. And so this is where we start today. If you've got your Bibles, open up. We're going to be looking at the last six verses, seven verses uh, in this chunk of scripture. We'll start with the first three. He says that we're to to do this battle, we're to put on the armor, we're to wield uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And here's how Paul will summatively tell us we're to live this Christian life. Pray at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul gives his last instructions, and then the last few verses are going to be his benediction, and we'll get to that. But this is the crux of what he's dealing with um, here as he, as he wraps up his letter, right? That we are to be praying at all times. Now, here's the thing about prayer. You can't be a Christian and not know about prayer. Every Christian, from our kids downstairs in, in the toddler and preschool room, I mean, I don't think the kids in the nursery know anything. 
except your kids. Your kids are smart. <laughs> but babies, not so much. I'm just kidding. Right? But once they get in the toddler room, we start to teach them about prayer. Right? In the nursery, we pray over them. In, in, in the toddler room, we pray with them, right? And, and in the preschool, we pray with them and into, into children's church and, and our midweek programming and up through middle school, our fifth through eighth graders, and then we get our, our high school life groups. And, and then we do it here on Sunday mornings, right? We, we talk about here are our prayer points and Pastor David leads us through these, these things and we pray for each other in the body and we pray for the offering and the giving and we pray for all of these ways for God to bless the church and, and for us to be a blessing to other people. And we know about prayer, right? Because we do it a lot. The problem is that we don't really know about prayer, even though we do it a lot, right? We know a couple things about prayer and, and what we know is typically what's been modeled for us. And this is one of the areas, listen to me, where, where we as church leaders have to, have to just repent and confess, because we have not always done a good job, like historically, we have not always done a good job of encouraging and teaching real prayer. We talk about it, like, like all, all through the history of the church, it's been talked about. Every now and then we'll see it modeled, but more often than not, what we see modeled is weak prayer inconsequential prayer. Prayer that really doesn't do a whole lot. And that's a problem. And, and that's something we need to do better at. Because when Paul writes this, man, he is, he is trying to, to drill down and dig deep into this idea of prayer and what's necessary. Not just lip service kinds of prayer. Um, John Piper says it this way. He says, John Piper in, in the book, Let the Nations Be Glad, uh, makes the point that prayer, what it really is, is a wartime walkie-talkie. Most of us treat it like it's a domestic intercom. We treat prayer like we're asking for another beverage, right? Like we're hitting the button and, and, and we're using it to order some creature comforts. But really what prayer is designed to do, right, because we know that this life is war, is to keep us connected in contact with our commander, with our God, with our king. And so as we dig into this last chunk of scripture, we got to really understand what Paul's saying. And we really as a church have to do better at teaching, modeling, and participating in prayer that makes a difference. So Paul starts with it here. He says, here's what I want you to do. First, first things first, I want you to pray at all times. Pray at all times. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking pray at all times. That could get dangerous. You're driving in the car, right? You're walking in the supermarket. Your eyes are closed. You're praying. You're running into things. You're knocking everything off the shelf. And we say, well, that's ridiculous. Nobody can pray at all times. So, so here's what we say. I just need to have a prayerful attitude all the time, right? So, so we dumb this down to make it okay for us. We're like, we just need to have a prayerful attitude. And then that's exactly what God meant. We just have a prayerful attitude and it's close enough. But that's not what Paul means here, right? Paul's using very descriptive language and it's definitive. He says, I want you to pray at all times, right? Now that doesn't mean that you're using the words 
dear heavenly father and you're always interceding in prayer in that way. But what it means when he says, I want you to pray at all times is that you should never have to start a prayer to say, God, we enter into your presence because you should have never left his presence in the first place. Why in the world would you willingly choose to leave the presence of God? Well, I know why you would leave the presence of God. So you can watch something you shouldn't watch. So you can say things you shouldn't say. So you can engage in something you shouldn't engage in. Right? But if you're cutting sin out of your life, you're entering into the presence of God and you just aren't leaving. When he says, I want you to be praying at all times, what he's saying is, I want you to be intimately connected with the God who hears your prayers, who moves on your behalf all of the time. Never leave his presence. Some people think, you know, we get to heaven, what is it going to be like? Because we're going to worship all the time. Does that mean we're always going to be in a church service? No. Because when you're in heaven, everything you do will be worship. When you work, it will be worship. When you play, it will be worship. When you sit and enjoy conversation and community and connection with friends and and long lost loved ones who believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and lived a life that honored God and they are in heaven waiting for you when you spend that time with them, that will be worship. This is what Paul means by pray all the time. Everything you do, everything you do is done in the presence of God. So you pray at all times. And you know, what's interesting about praying at all times is is this is the way, listen, Paul's, Paul's telling us this is so important because this is the way your work for God, right, becomes acceptable to God. You can wake up in the morning and you can do a lot of good things, but the good things that you're doing are worthless, Unless they're done in the power of God. Well, how does that work? Well, you are in God's presence. And it's the understanding that this is a prayerful activity and a prayerful action that I'm doing in the presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit that will make this work mean something. When you feel dry and empty, when you feel like like none of it's work, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. You're very smart. That's on me, guys. Listen. It's my bad. No, listen. When you feel dry and empty and, and, and it, it just feels like you've got nothing, right? Or you're exhausted because you've just been pouring yourself out, but it just doesn't feel like it's worth anything. This is the time when I need to stop and take a step back and I need to remember that I'm not, I'm not just doing things for God. Right, but that I'm in his presence and I'm connected with him. This matters. You could do a lot of things, but the way to, to do them well, the way to do them exceedingly abundantly more, the way to experience that joy, unspeakable joy, the way to have all of that that God, that, 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 that God is offering you is to be doing it while connected with him, not separate from him. So Paul starts this this little chunk here with just, hey, pray at all times. In in Ezekiel, I'm sorry, not Ezekiel, um, Exodus, in chapter 17, I believe, uh, the Amalekites attack Israel. So God sends Joshua out to battle. 
and tells Moses to go on top of the hill and to pray. The Amalekites have, have attacked God's chosen people. And so Joshua goes out with the army to defend Israel, to defend God's honor. And he tells Moses that you pray. And so we see here, like there's this, this beautiful picture that happens about how our prayer and our activity have to be together. Because if they're not, then our activity, as good as we thought it was, is useless. Whenever Moses, standing on the hill overlooking the battle, whenever his arms are raised in praise and worship and prayer... And he's, he's praying to God, and he's in the presence of God, and God is, is actively intervening on Joshua's behalf. Joshua and the army is effective in pushing back the Amalekites. But when Moses gets tired and stops, all of a sudden the Amalekites start to overwhelm the Israelite forces. Why? Well, it's not because Joshua stopped being a good commander. It's not because he all of a sudden couldn't wield a sword anymore. It's because he was all of a sudden battling in his own strength. And God gives us this great picture so we can learn this lesson, right? But, but when Moses lifts his hands in praise and prayer, all of a sudden Israel is effective. And what they're doing has feet now. And so, of course, we, we know the story, at least I hope you know the story, that... that um, Aaron and, and her, they, they, they put a rock underneath him, he sits, and they, they each take an arm and they, and they stabilize him, right? Because what have we learned so many times? We don't do this by ourselves. And collectively, they worship and they pray and they are in the presence of God. And God then will use their activity, the things they're doing, and will bless them. This is a great picture, man. If you are trying to do these things on your own strength... If you're trying to do these things in your own strength, you will fall and you'll be exhausted and you'll be tired and you will open yourself up for the enemy to walk right in. So pray at all times in the spirit. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking if we're only going to do three words at a time, we're never going to get done. It'll be okay. Pray at all times. And you pray in the Spirit. The way that you stay consistently in the presence of God is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's just it. Like when you are praying in your own strength or of your own accord, when you do anything on your own, it's always going to fall short. But when you pray in the Spirit of God. And remember, when you became born again, when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit sealed you. And then Paul told us that you are invited to have as much of the Holy Spirit as you desire. You just have to invite Him into your life. You can call it being baptized in the Spirit. You can call it um, asking the Spirit to fill you. I don't really care what language you use. The idea is that you can have more. And it's in that spirit that my prayer starts to take power. That I am continually in the presence of God. Your prayers are ineffective without the power of the Holy Spirit. One, without the power of the Holy Spirit, your prayers are most likely selfish. Because it's only through God that we're able to be other-centered, really other-centered. Right? But, but also, the reason I even have the ability to enter in 
right? This is, this is the, the mode we always think about prayer, right? We're praying to the Father, right, through the Son as our mediator in the power of the Spirit. The only reason I can even do it is because of the Spirit. Go back to, to the tabernacle. In the tabernacle was a gold table, and it's where, it's where the priests burned the incense. God tells us in Revelation that that incense is a picture. Guess what it's a picture of? The prayers of his people. And the incense was worthless when it sat on the table. Unless it was touched by the fire. And when it was touched by the fire, then it burned and made this beautiful aroma that elevates to God. That was the practice of worship in the tabernacle, right? We're told in, in the same way that, that the prayers, the prayers are the incense and the fire. This is the Holy Spirit giving them legs. This isn't something we do on our own. We pray in the Spirit. And we pray with all prayer and supplication. It's five words in that one. With all prayer and supplication. Most of us only know one kind of prayer. Well, you know two. You know what you say before you eat. And then you know the prayer that says, God, help. Give. I need. And there's nothing wrong with prayers that say, God, help. Give me. I need. Supplication. There's nothing wrong with that. But most of us, that's the only prayer we know. But... Paul says, pray, yeah, supplication, but with all kinds of prayer. When you look at the Greek there, that all prayer means all kinds of prayer. There's a time to pray adoration to God, to just acknowledge him for who he is, to spend a season in prayer doing nothing but telling God how awesome he is. Thanksgiving. That's not asking, but it's just telling God, thank you for everything that you've done for me. We just read three pages of a list of everything that God's done. Praise. Praising God. Sometimes your absolute best prayer, right, to, to, to raise that shield of faith, to, to quench the flaming darts of the enemy that we talked about last week. Sometimes the absolute best way to raise that shield is just to praise and thank and adore God. When we pray, we spend far too much time asking. There's nothing wrong with asking, but it's certainly not the only way we ought to pray. But supplication is a part of it. And so I want to give you some instruction on asking. When you ask, don't ask like a child. Let me clarify. Jesus tells us you need the faith of a child. So yes, your faith should be that of a child that says, God is big and he can do whatever, and I just believe it. Do I have intellectual questions? Do I have all of these things floating around in my mind? Yes, but the faith of a child says, God said it, I believe it, here it is. That's the faith of a child. And you should pray with the faith of a child, but you should not play, pray like a child. Better yet, don't pray like Miss America. God, I just want to end world hunger. God, will you please just bring world peace? 
Like those prayers are fine, right? But that's not what we see in Scripture. It's not what's modeled for us in the New Testament. You know what's modeled for us in the New Testament? Our specific, bold, dangerous prayers that when God answers, there is nothing that we can do but say, look what God did. That's it. So when you pray, you pray specifically. You pray boldly and you pray with an expectation that God will answer. That's what you do. All kinds of prayers and supplication. But when you do it, you do it specifically. The reason that we do it specifically, right, is so that God gets the glory. And that's what we're interested in, is God getting the glory. And Paul says to that end, you best keep alert with all perseverance. Alert, keep your eyes open. Do not miss an opportunity. Why? You're always in the presence of God, right? You should never be leaving the presence of God. You're always in the presence of God, right? And you are giving, you are praying at all times with the power of the Spirit, right? And yes, supplication, but all kinds of prayers. And how do you know what to be praying for? And how do you know how to do this? Well, your eyes are open. You're alert. And you don't quit. I'm afraid that far too many of us quit praying just before God intended to answer. I can't prove it. Except here's what I know. I know that we have a good father in heaven I know that some of our prayers are good, God-honoring prayers. And I know they don't always get answered. So I'm forced to believe then that we've stopped praying just before God intended to answer. Does it make sense to me that God needs my prayers to cause him to act? No, miss it. listen, that is weird. God is sovereign. I know God is sovereign. Right? God being sovereign means God gets his way. But somehow in, in the Bible, we are taught the truth that when I pray, that will cause God to act. Right? You can spend all of the time you want wasted on figuring out that theology and how it works together. Or, this is just me, or you could have the faith of a child and just do it. Deuteronomy 29, 29, I say this and David will cringe, but, but Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord. Ours, our job, our job is to do what he's told us to do. I don't know how a sovereign God needs my prayers to act. What happens if I pray? What happens if I don't pray? How is God still sovereign and how is he still getting his way? I don't know. Listen, I'm here. God is so far above me, I can't see him. I don't know how any of that works. Here's what I know though. I know that the Bible teaches that he is sovereign. The Bible teaches that he does need my prayers. And so I could spend my time worrying about how it fits together or I could spend my time praying. Keep alert with all perseverance. Be like the widow 
that bothered the unjust judge. There, Jesus tells a parable in, in Luke 18. You've got just the ending of it here. But, but here's the thing. She's a widow and she's been treated unjustly. So she goes to the judge asking for justice. Because the judge is unjust, he dismisses her. Undeterred, she goes back and asks again. The unjust judge does not care about her or her cause, and so he dismisses her again. She goes back a third time and pleads her case. Finally, the unjust judge says this, this woman is driving me nuts. I'm just going to give her what she wants so she'll go away. Now, that's not God. God isn't going to just give you what you want so you go away. But, but Jesus' point is this. Learn a lesson from the unjust judge. Even he, as unjust as he is, even he rendered a just decision in the end. Why? Because he was harassed. Because the woman was persevering in her asking. He says, man, even the unjust judge did what was right in the end. Won't God surely give justice to people who cry out day and night? Will he keep putting them off? No. He says, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. Now you want to know what quickly means. I don't know. To God, a, a, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. I don't know what quickly means in that context. Here's what I know it means. That you have a good God and even if the unjust judge is eventually going to give justice, keep asking because won't God even more so? And so here's, here's what it says, right? Don't quit. Keep praying. And you're like, well, if I'm praying like that, it feels like I'm twisting God's arm. No, you're not twisting God's arm right? What you're doing is you're saying, God, this is so serious to me. I can't let go until I have an answer from you. I can't let go until I have an answer from you. Robert Law says this, that, uh, that prayer isn't about getting our will done in heaven. It's about getting God wills, God's will done here on earth. That's all I'm asking for when I'm persistent in prayer, when I don't give up, when I dig in my heels and when I bring the same thing to the Lord every day and I continue to put in front of him, I'm just begging God, God, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then Paul tells us as we pray, it doesn't just need to be about you right? It's not just about you. You're not just praying for your own things, but you're making supplication for all the saints. And Paul says, for me too. You're praying for all of us. You're praying for other believers. You're praying for the church. You're praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because they're being attacked by the enemy just like you are. Because they need to access the power of God just like you do. Because they need to trust the Holy Spirit just like you do. And so we pray for them. We make all kinds of supplication for them. We talked about this last week, right? How your intercession for me made a real difference in my walk and in my effectiveness last week. Right? We talked about that. Right? Paul says this. Make supplication for all the saints. 
It's one of the reasons why small groups is so important. Why? Because we just come alongside each other in prayer and lifting one another up. This is why you have to tell the truth about what your burden is. Because if people don't know your burden, they cannot pray specifically and boldly for you. Right? They can sit in their room and they could say, God, bless that person. But they can't say, God, they are mired in depression right now. And they are attacked from every side. And they feel despondent and they feel like giving up. God, help them to raise the shield of faith. Help me to raise my shield of faith over them. God, convince them in their heart that you are true and that you are right and that your promises are good. Embolden them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lift them up. Shine your face upon them. Give them strength. That is a bold, specific prayer that far outpaces. God bless them. But if we don't know, we can't pray. Paul says, make supplication for all the saints, for me too. We need to pray for each other because this stuff matters. And and, and in case you're confused, he says, in case you're confused about how to pray, pray that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. He's a prisoner. He's chained to a Roman soldier in prison as he writes this. And he says, pray not that you will take the chains off. You know, odds are shackles are leaving some chafing in his ankles and it's awfully uncomfortable. He's not like praying, hey, help my ankle feel better. Hey, maybe if the guard could give me an extra piece of bread because I'm kind of hungry right now. Hey, maybe I want God to let me out of jail. Hey, make the persecution stop. It's not what he's praying. Right? He's not praying, you know what, when I leave this place and I go to Rome, if I'm able, oh, he's in Rome. If I leave this place and I go to Jerusalem, if I'm able to go, I'd like to travel in style. So could you please give me traveling mercies? I like smooth seas. Remember that shipwreck thing, God? We don't want that again. It's not what he's praying for. What's he praying for is he sits in jail awaiting his death. He says, I'm praying that words may be given to me when I open my mouth that I will boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That's why I'm in prison, and I want to declare it like I should. Reminds me of the, the apostles early in Acts, right? They, they heal somebody, and they're telling everybody that they healed this person through Jesus. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the high council brings them in and, and, and tells them, they whip them, and they tell them, don't talk about Jesus anymore, Right? The whipped disciples are walking back to home base with all of the believers and they get there and they tell them what happened. They said, we can't talk about Jesus anymore. They whipped us like 30 times and they say, worse is going to happen if we keep talking about Jesus. So what do they do? They have an emergency prayer meeting, but they don't ask for the persecution to stop. They don't ask for the Sadducees to change their mind. They don't ask for the Pharisees to all of a sudden be disgraced and discredited. What do they ask? God, help us to be bold and teach the gospel. Help us to proclaim the good news for everyone that needs to hear it. We don't care what happens to us. 
when we pray, there is nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong for praying for physical or temporal needs. I do it all the time when I pray for people that I know of that have um, physical illnesses, that have monetary issues, right? As elders, we've been called to pray, to anoint people and pray over them. And we do it, right? James tells us to do it. There's nothing wrong with praying for those physical things. But listen, if that's what your prayer list is, then you are missing. Because the greatest needs that exist in our world are not physical needs. They're spiritual needs. Paul knows that. That's why he says, hey, pray for me. I'm in chains. I'm about to be killed for the sake of the gospel. And you know what? That's fine. I don't need prayers so that I will feel better. I don't need prayers so that I'll be safer. Here's what I need prayers for. I need prayers for power in my words because I need people to not be in hell. I need the suffering that I'm going through now. I need it to matter. I need it to be worth something. See, Paul has this great perspective and he knows that this life is so crazy, temporary, and that eternity is so crazy forever that all he's doing is saying, hey, right, I don't want to waste my prayers on this stuff that's going to be so short term. Yeah, pray for it. It's fine. But I want you to pray for me about this stuff that's going to matter forever. That's where we land. This is where we land when it comes to prayer. Here's what, here's what Paul says. He says, pray. Pray a lot, man, because the power that you're trying to live the Christian life in does not come from you, but it comes from communion with God. You pray in the Spirit because when you pray in the Spirit, that's when you're connected. You pray all kinds of prayer. Don't just ask for stuff, but don't forget who God is. And when you do ask, you ask boldly and you ask specifically. And that's it. That's how Paul finishes this letter. That's how he finishes the instructions of this letter. He, he ends with, with this benediction, right? This is his closing. He says, hey, so that you can know how I am and, and what I'm doing, I'm going to send this guy to you. In my mind, he's called Tychius. I know there's an extra C in there, but I don't know what to do with it. So in my mind, he's called Tychius. Tychius is a beloved brother in the faith. He actually delivers multiple letters for Paul. He's delivering this one for Paul. He delivers uh, a letter to Timothy. He delivers, I believe, a letter to the church in Coloss, right? This is, this is a guy that's with him a lot that he trusts. And he says, so that you can know how I'm doing, right? I've given you this letter of instruction, but I know you care about me. So he is going to deliver the letter and he's going to tell you how I am. And he's going to then... Um, give you encouragement in that. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And then it was, it was twofold, right? Because uh, Tychius was going to deliver the letter and he was going to hear, he was going to be able to tell them how, how Paul is, but then he's going to hear about the church and then he's going to go back to Paul and he's going to report. So he'll get encouragement from him in that way too. Paul often says that, that he has been encouraged when he hears reports. Well, this is how he hears reports. Tychius will come back and give a report, right? And so the only thing I would tell you about this, other than that Paul's being very gracious by wanting to encourage the church, he's not a missionary that keeps things secret, right? He wants you to know, here's what's happening. Here's how your resources, because they're supporting him. Here's how your resources are being used effectively, right? Here's how the enemy is working against us. 
Here's what God is doing that's so awesome. Thing is, nobody's on an island. How many times have we talked about this? Nobody's on an island, right? Paul, Paul has people around him, and, and he has a church that supports him and that's with him. And he says, so, so in final, he says, peace to you, brothers. Peace. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Here, here's the three things he ends with. He's like, I want to give you this as he closes the letter. He says, I just, I, I just want to pray a blessing on you. And the, and the blessing is this, peace. I'm praying, Paul's praying peace on the church. That's the peace of God. It's not his peace. Paul doesn't have peace to give. But he says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you will experience God's peace. That comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you, if you have accepted the gospel, if you have if you have fallen on your knees at the foot of the cross, if you have repented and believed, you've said, I am turning my life over now. Then you experience the peace of God. And it's not peace like the world gives. It's real peace. He says, and love with faith, right? Not just, not just love like the world says, oh, here, love you, right? I finished a letter, love Matt but love that's rooted in faith. Love that's rooted in faith. That's the kind of love that sent Jesus Christ to love you to the point where he purposely laid his life down and paid the penalty for your sinfulness on himself. Since I'm praying God's peace that comes through the gospel and love that's rooted in faith that Jesus expresses on the cross and he finishes with grace. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. He is praying the divine grace of God that's available through the gospel. That's why he says that's available for those that love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Don't give up. Don't give in. But if you have given your life to God, right? If you have given your life, if you have committed yourself to following then you've experienced this divine grace. And so this is the benediction that he gives them. And it's where he leaves us. Because as we read this letter, right, it's not just for them. It was for all of the churches in existence at the time. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's for us as well. So Paul leaves us with this. He says, I want to pray a blessing on you. And here's the blessing. God's peace, God's love, and God's grace. Paul says, from my heart to yours. That's what he wants us to experience. And that's where we end. So we've walked through all six chapters of this book. Paul starts with, with letting us know that we've been blessed in every way, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And it ends with this. Experience God's peace, God's love, and God's grace. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do as we close. Kind of close. We're close. To close him. We're going to spend some time in communion together. So I'm going to ask the elders to come up and grab a tray. 
as they do, um, in a minute, you'll be invited just to, from where you're sitting, um, you can come by rows, but if you're not ready, just stay seating and they'll work around you. And when you're ready, come, but just come by rows and come down and receive communion. And we're going to encourage you to take it back to your seats and hold on to it because we're all going to partake of it together, right? And as we do, we're going to reflect on this one thing. As you're standing in line, as you're taking the the cup uh, or or the elements, as you're getting ready, here's what we're reflecting on. We're reflecting on uh, on the fact of Paul's benediction. That because of what God has done for us, that we can experience this wonderful trifecta of God's peace, of his love, and his grace. And we can do that because of what communion represents. We can do that because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That he willingly gave up his life for us. And that in the power of the Holy Spirit, because he was God, he picked it back up and conquered death in the resurrection. That those of us that choose to believe in him, and that belief, Jill Struve, that belief means, because we talked about this at small group, right? And she said, you should clarify. So I'm clarifying. That belief is not just intellectual belief. That belief is accompanied with repentance. So that when I believe and I do something because of my belief that I am now a recipient of God's peace, of his love, and of his indescribable grace. Here at Blessed Hope, we practice open communion. What that means is you do not need to be a member of the church. All we ask is that you be a follower of Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then communion is for you. Celebrate with us. If you are not a follower of Jesus, listen to me. I would love to have that conversation with you. There is no time like the present to give your life to Jesus and experience the freedom that Paul's been writing about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are good, gracious, and kind, and we love you. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the blessings that you've poured out on us. Thank you for the truth that we are free from the burden of sin. We are free from death and the grave, and that ultimately, God, our home is with you in heaven, that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, that we have been clothed in righteousness, that we are new. God, thank you for your son who willingly laid his life down. His body was broken and his blood was poured out to pay the penalty for our sinfulness so that we could believe and repent and be made whole. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.